Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Second Corinthians chapter number six, and we will be starting with verse number fourteen, and we'll continue through until the first verse of, of, of chapter number seven. The Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light? with darkness and what concord hath Christ with Belial or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols for ye are the temple of the living God as God hath said I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Verse 1 of the next chapter. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen. For a little while today, my subject matter is going to be this, and please don't run and dismiss yourself, but my, my subject matter is this, operation separation. Operation separation. Hallelujah. Can you help me right now? Let's pray. We need the Lord's help in this place this morning. Father, God, I come to you today. I'm asking, O oh Lord, for your anointing, God, upon this, Lord, lips of clay and mind of clay. I'm asking, O oh God, that you would enlighten my mind and my lips. God, that the anointing of your spirit, Lord, would flow upon, God, every faculty of my being. I pray, O Lord, that it would not just, Lord, remain here on the platform, that it would permeate God throughout the pew. I pray, O Lord, today I'm looking at your word. Going to, Lord Jesus, share your word. God, I pray, O Lord Jesus, let it find itself exercising in our life. And I'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory, God, for what you do in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Everyone say amen. Amen, you may be seated uh, this morning. I think a geography lesson is appropriate for today. And uh, with that being said, please don't check out early, all right? Um, Operation separation. I think to really understand the uh, gravity of what the Apostle Paul is saying right here in Scripture all throughout the Corinthian scripture for that matter, we got to understand the setting and the disposition, if you will, of the church at Corinth at this time. We need to understand why he's saying what he's saying. Because he was just not, uh, you know, 
finding a soapbox to stand on. There was some pertinent information that he was relaying to the church of Corinth, not just haphazardly, but intentionally, with purpose. Uh, the, the Corinthians, or Corinth, if you will, itself, here's our history and our geography lesson. Bore you to your gore, okay? Maybe you'll start crying, and I think the Holy Ghost is just blessing you. But regardless, Corinth, Corinth somewhere in its history and its past had been uh, really overtaken by the Romans. And uh, it was left desolate for quite some time. Didn't have any inhabitants there until uh, the ruler of the Roman government, Julius Caesar, came into power. Whenever he came into power, he said, you know, Corinthian is a very, uh, Corinth is a very uh, profitable area. It's a very profitable place. It could be very useful to the whole uh, Roman Empire. And so he reestablished it, and, and it began to be repopulated. And it was, a part of, it was a Roman colony. It was a part of Rome. And so here is Corinth, a, uh, not a very vastly big to start with city, but it grew to thousands and thousands of people. Uh, it was really, really overwhelmed with people, probably more than what the land could withhold. But it was regarded as a very important city, very important city. Sister McGee, you can go and put my, my geography lesson up there, if you will. It's very, very, and that ain't very big at all, so you're going to have a hard time maybe seeing this. Uh, but it was, it was a very small area, but it had a lot of people in it. And uh, it was a very important city. It was uh, uh, just third important, the whole empire of Rome. There was Rome, there was Alexandria, and then there was Corinth. So it was very, very important. And whenever you look, and I don't, you can't even see where Corinth is up there, and I thought I'd grab a laser to point it out, but Corinth is about right there where that land gets really, really, really narrow. And it was so important because people that was traveling from, like, and this thing might not hold out, but people that were traveling from this area over here to over here, many times they would come right here to Corinth. Because at its narrowest point, it was only about three and a half miles. And so they could take their boat, set it upon the land, push it many times across the land to, to the next sea and wouldn't have to go around all these uh, Penelope's Islands or the, the land of the Penelope's. It'd save a lot of time. And as a result of that, they had people from all different regions over here, different races, different nationalities, uh, most importantly for our study today, different religions that would come to Corinth they would pass over the land there and exit to the other side out there into the sea. And as a result of that, uh, Corinth was a very, very big hub for trade and a very big hub for sellers uh, to come in and meet. And with that, since they're going to have people here, I know some of you getting bored already. Since they're going to have people here that's going to be from various nations and various races and more importantly, various religions, they decided, well, we got to be accepting to all people. And in order to be accepting to all people, then if we have a, a person of a certain religion coming to our town, we want to be able to have something here that's going to meet their religious need. And if we have somebody from a different country of a different religion come to this town, man, we don't want to feel them slighted because, man, we're getting industry, we're getting revenue, we're getting money by these people passing through here. This really benefiting our standard of living. So if someone different of a different religion comes through here, man, we're going to have something for them. In other words, we don't want anybody to pass through Corinth that's going to feel like an oddball. We want to, I hate to use this word, I'll go use it. We want to stoop to whoever they may be because we want them to feel comfortable. We want them to feel at ease. And as a result of this, you could go to Corinth and there were temples almost to every God imaginable. 
Neptune, Apollo, Venus. We're not talking about planets either. We're talking about gods and all these various gods. Aphrodite, we have talked about in times past, that grand temple where there was a thousand priestesses there that they, they, they were basically prostitutes and they slept with the people that came and visited that particular temple. It was a city of immorality. Amen, because a lot of religion is somehow uh, many times tied to, to, to immorality if they're not true religion if you want to call it religion. And, and so uh, they were all coming. It was a big sexual perversion type thing. And as a matter of fact, the, the little coin, the phrase was coined Corinthianize, which meant basically to fornicate. That was coined because of Corinth. All the immorality, all the wealth, all this was known as the city of Corinth. And Paul had come here years ago. He had spent a year and a half of his ministry there teaching and preaching and trying to get some converts together and there was there was a church that was established and whenever I say a church there were a lot of churches established but there was a church that was established by uh, the apostles doctrine Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone established in the city of Corinth now these people had been exposed to every walk of life possible if you as a resident of Corinth it was like standing at Baskin Robbins. What's your flavor? Do you like banana? Do you like strawberry? Do you like strawberry, vanilla, cranberry? If so, we'll mix it all together. We got it for you at Corinth. I would say today that I don't believe Corinth was much different from today or our society because we have basically in our society the very same type of mentality. What's your flavor? We, we got, we got uh, things available for this one or for that one or the other. And it hasn't been too long ago. My wife was reading me uh, someone's uh, uh, dialogue or, if you will, own kind of personal diary of how they couldn't find anything that suited them. Because we live in that type of driven society that I need to find what suits me. That whatever my ideals are, whatever my beliefs are, whatever my convictions are, then I want to find what suits me. According to God's word, I never see where we were called to a place where we find what suits us. But we find out what's suiting the one that we're trying to please. And then we're mowed and made in the likeness of that in his image. It's not I'm trying to find something that suits me, but I'm trying to suit him. Amen. I expected mud today. And so as we go into the city of Corinth and we see all these things, there are a lot of things that were breaking down and taking place. Paul tried to establish a church there, but there's all kinds of churches there. Tried to have a temple there, but there's all kinds of temples there. And so people are used to just doing whatever they wanted to do, whatever felt good, they did it. It was kind of like from the book of Judges. Every man did that which is right in their own eyes, and they were right. Amen. And so if you went here, you went there. But whenever you're trying to establish a church that's built upon the apostles' doctrine, Jesus Christ himself being the, the chief cornerstone, where Paul said that there's no other gospel, that he spoke to the New Testament church, he said, if we or an angel come and preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. The time of Paul's day. Trying to bring that about, then he wasn't trying to establish a church that if tomorrow you want to go to uh, the temple of Neptune and the next week go to Apollo and then come back here, that's fine. No, he wasn't going to underscore that. He wasn't going to okay that because the God that he served wouldn't underscore that. 
The God that he served did not okay that. And what happened now in Corinth, problems started happening. Paul even wrote the first, the first Corinthians to the church at Corinth because they were having some problems with separation. They was having some problems of being in the world but not of the world. They was having some problems with that. And as a result of that came our first Corinthians and he reads and he tries to address some, address some things about this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do. These are the guidelines that you need to live and abide by. But it's as though those words just fell in the sand. And so he comes now with 2 Corinthians and he is again touching on some of the same things about separation, particularly in the verses that I read unto you today. Because what was happening, there were some false teachers of a lot in Corinth, but there were some false teachers that were entering in. Uh, might I try uh, to say this? They were trying to start some quasi-Christianity. In other words, uh, you, you, you be a little Hindu, Buddha, uh, Aphrodite, Christian. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. A smelty pot, if you will, religion. Oh, God, help me today. What, what we call today might call it non-denominational. Because if that's the case, then whatever your label is, go on and come. We're not going to infringe upon your comfort. You don't infringe on our comfort. We're all okay and we're all right. And that's what was happening in Paul's day. And he came with 2 Corinthians to address some of those matters. Because these false teachers were getting a following. And Paul says this is not the way that his church was set up when I was there for a year and a half in my ministry. Preaching and teaching the word of God, the doctrines and the dogmas of God. That's not how it is. And so he makes a call. To those at Corinth, particularly the church at Corinth, he says, be, not, be ye not unequally yoked together. Right. Amen. In other words, Paul wasn't just talking about a potential danger. He was talking about something that was already happening. Something that was already taking place. He wasn't like giving a warning sign, hey, be careful. He was saying, some of you are already entrenched in this. And he says, you don't need to get entrenched in this. He said, don't be unequally yoked together. Now, what he's referring to is the Old Testament scripture of Deuteronomy 22 and verse number 10. Uh, the scripture says, thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Because to put both of those in the same yoke, that would be an unequal yoke. There is a difference between a donkey and an ox. And an ox and a donkey. And for the, for the Jews, it was vastly important because an ox was considered to be a clean animal and a donkey was considered to be an unclean animal. And he's saying, you don't yoke up in the same yoke the clean and the unclean. And he said, for another matter, the tendencies, the condition, the spirit, the personality of the ox is different from that of the donkey. An ox is a worker by nature. Put the weight on him, he's going to just dig in and go forward and plow. By nature, the ox is a worker. A donkey, on the other hand, takes a little bit more prodding, takes a little bit more encouragement, 
Takes a little bit more kicking against the pricks, if you will, to feel the sharpness of the prick in order to get it to move. He said, you can't put in the same yoke somebody that's ready to go forward and another one that's ready to sit still and balk. You can't put in the same yoke somebody that has a desire to move on and another one that wants to be rebellious and stubborn against getting anything done or accomplished. You can't do that. Paul's referring to this. He said, you can't put these two different people or two different personalities in the same yoke. He says, you can't come in here on Sunday and bless God, amen, with your tongue and then leave this place and go lay in a bed of prostitution. He said, there's something unequal. There's two different natures. Now, there, I could be going, listen, I could go a whole lot of places today, okay? This could be a real long trip and we go around the equator today, but I'm going to try to keep from doing it. Uh-huh. He says, we, uh-huh. And let, let, let's, let's just be honest with ourselves. They had any flavor at Corinth. So yeah, there's a lot of different things they could have yoked up with. Paul says, though, we've established a church here. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This thing that whenever Peter said, hey, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he turned around and said, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so we can't put these two different natures together. And honey, that, uh, under the auspice of not hurting anybody's feelings and under the auspice of you're okay, I'm okay, and we're just going to grab hands and we're going to go under the auspice of all that, that's what's trying to be done in our society today. That's what trying to, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want to say somebody's right and somebody else is wrong. Let me tell you, the apostle Paul stood flat-footed and he put his back in and said, let me tell you, there is a difference between living for God and living for another God. There is a difference between right and wrong. There is a difference. There is a difference between being rightfully yoked and unequally yoked. There is a vast difference. Oh, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost coming there. It's a vast difference. And I... I need to illustrate to somebody today, and I didn't plan on going this. You won't have the scripture, okay? Just thank me later, because you already had a lot of scriptures. But the difference does not have to wait to be seen whenever eternity gets here. Oh, God, help me today. Let me tell you, folks, I struggled Thursday and Friday, late last night and early this morning. I probably got 20 hours of thinking into what I'm giving to you right now. And I want you to know it's for some reason that I struggled so much, but we're going to get on through it right now today. Luke chapter number 16, the story is told. There is a parable that is here in Scripture of the rich man and the beggar, the rich man and Lazarus. We see them in their life. We, we see the rich man and all the pomp and the grandeur. And Lazarus, he's outside the gates and he's, he's with sores in his body. He's wishing to be fed. But that's not what I wish to get at today. The Bible says that they both part in life. They die. The rich man dies. Lazarus dies. 
And in verse 23 of Luke 16, I'm sorry, Sister McGee, I could have said that earlier and you probably had it for me. Luke 16 and verse 23, the Bible says, In hell he, speaking of the rich man, lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, I'll get there. Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now is he comforted and thou art tormented. Look right, verse 26. I want you to zero in right here. And beside all this, between us and you, There is a great gulf fixed. Let me tell you, I don't know if the real realization of that gulf was known until that day of departure and eternity had happened, but that gulf should be evident even now while we're still living. A great gulf fixed between those that are us and those that are them. Somebody hear me today. And he says, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass us that would come from thence. What are you saying, Brother McGee, that there's, a great, there's this great gulf fix between us and them and there's so much difference that they can't pass up to us and, they, and we can't pass to them? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there is always a gulf fixed and only in eternity will the impossibility be that you can't go from one place to the other and from one place back to the other. But while you're still alive and there's still this great great difference, separation if you will, between the church and the world, you still have opportunity of passing from the world to the church or passing from the church to the world but when eternity gets here there is no such possibility, but no well, the separation should always be there The sadness of the story was that there can no longer be an exchange between these two worlds. That was the sadness of the story. The Abraham had said, hey, there's this great separation, but we can no longer pass between these two worlds because we are in the realm of eternity now. Because I would be for sure a liar and far from being biblically based if I said it couldn't take place now because there's people getting saved. And just as much as people get saved, people's having their shopping trips to the world too. Might be a weekend endeavor. It might be a one-day event. And they'll come back to God. Uh-huh. So he says, this, this, this unequally yoked. He said, we got, we got two different natures here. And we, we can't somehow bring these things together. Brother, Brother Sutton, he even said that unequally yoked was a term that came from the military. Meaning that an individual should, should, should keep in their ranks. They had to keep in their ranks. Stay my, my post and keep in my ranks. Now look, look at the contrasting terms that Paul sets before us. So I might not get through all this today. 
Look at the contrasting terms that Paul puts before us. So he makes this, this statement, how be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, and then he start, poses some contrasting terms in the form of questions, in the forms of rhetorical questions. He wanted them to think and ponder, and he, he had done deduced in his mind what the answer was. And he wanted them to come to that same deduction, what the answer was. And then after they had went through these series of questions and they had come to the same answer, then he was going to hit them with the verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them. So he goes through, look at these contrasts that he sets forth. Right here with the yoking together, he's talking about the, the church at Corinth, the Corinthian believers, and the contrasting is the unbelievers. He contrasts righteousness with unrighteousness. He contrasts light with darkness. He contrasts Christ with Belial. Another spelling of Belial is Belier, which I like to say this, be liar. Because in the Old Testament it meant worthlessness. In the New Testament, it, it adopted the meaning of lawlessness and they sometimes used it as a direct Title or representation of Satan. And he's the beliar. <laughs> if you want a mnemonic device to remember it. He's the beliar. So we're contrasting Christ and we're contrasting the devil, Satan. He's contrasting a believer and an infidel, which is basically what? An unbeliever. He's contrasting the temple of God with idols. Now look what he says here. He's asking some questions. I want you to note the words that he starts to use in his question. For what fellowship? What communion? What concord? What part? What agreement? Those words are powerful. Fellowship, communion, concord, part, agreement. Because whenever you talk about fellowship... You're talking about partnership in New Testament Greek. When you're talking about fellowship, you're talking about participation. When you talk about communion, you're talking about participation. You're talking about that which is in common. It's New Testament Greek. Whenever you talk about concord, you're talking about accordance or unison. Oh, God. In other words, what, what, here he is. What concord hath? What unison hath Christ with Satan? Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, the word concord, we get our English word symphony from this word. The symphony is nothing more. It's talking about beautiful music. And this is pure definition. That comes when the players are reading the same music and following the same leader. You don't have symphony unless they're reading the same thing. If I can interpose, if they're reading the same thing and they're following the same one. Because you can alter that and try to follow the same one and read something different. Or read the same thing, which is the case many times today, read the same thing and follow something different. Uh-huh. Symphony. Concord. What what part or what portion? What what portion? What part? What share? What fellowship? 
And whenever it speaks about what part, it's talking about something that, that, that usually is, is to a division of an estate. It's a division. It's a, por- it's, a part, it's a portion of a bigger whole. In other words, what part or what portion? What, what, let's see what the word of God plainly says concerning what part. It says, what part hath he that believeth with the infidel? Have you ever, you ever been uh, going through a, uh, a buffet uh, line at a pizza place? And they got your pepperoni out there. They got your sausage. They got your supreme. They got your buffalo wild wing pizza. That you can get anything anymore. Your macaroni pizza. Your you know Manhattan beef and cheese. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds kind of gross, don't it? <laughs> Have all these pizzas out here. You know, I go up there and I get a slice. It's a part of another that is similar, like made the same ingredients, have the same components as the whole. Have you ever been there, Brother Terry, whenever they're wanting to, you know, reduce the amount of little round pans out there on the buffet line? What do they do? They take, you know, maybe three quarters of pizza, put it over here with, or take a quarter, put it over here with three quarters. And I've been tricked sometime. Because I went up there and all I seen was, you know, it was supreme and I grabbed me a piece of my own plate and it was pepperoni. That was no part of that supreme pizza. You understand what I'm getting at? Whenever he's saying what part he's saying, it's a portion and a part of a whole that's just like it. In other words, so what, what, what part is it? The scripture says, what part hath a believer with an infidel? Man, that doesn't, you can slice that infidel up all you want to and you're not going to pull away a part of belief. You can slice false doctrine up all you want to and you're not going to pull out. What was that? I heard it from the balcony. And I just felt something in the spirit. I used to say this years ago, but I feel like saying it again. Truth is not validated by your belief. You don't make truth untruth whether you have one or a thousand people that disbelieve it. Truth is as rigid as it'll ever be. It doesn't change for nobody's belief or disbelief. Years ago, I used to somehow demonstrate, or I'd, I'd grab something and say, this is black. Truth of the matter, this is black. But I, I, I'm going to tell you, this is yellow. This is yellow. Maybe I can start being real persuasive. Maybe I can get persuasive, and I can get Brother Cruz in on board with me. He's going to say, this is yellow too. And I get a few, maybe I can convince a few others of you out here. You know, maybe I can get Josh and Sarah in on it. I don't know. And, conv- you know, this is yellow. And maybe I can get a good majority of this congregation saying this is yellow. But it will not change the truth of the matter. That this is black. We might even get us a church of the yellows. And let us get us a pastor and put him in. And let him preach about how much this is yellow. And let, let that thing turn into an organization and let them have committees and different divisions. Send people over in foreign missions and talk about how much this is yellow. But if the truth is this is black, it doesn't matter how many people disbelieve, it's still true. Truth don't bow over to anything. Belief or disbelief, it is confident in what it is. 
It's true. I think that's Brother Malone's. Be hunting that later. Be like Bishop, I'm one of those. <laughs> Agreement, assent, or accord. Come out from among them. He says, wherefore, come out from among them and be separate. Separate's not a dirty word. Holy's not a dirty word. Sanctification's not a dirty word. Difference's not a dirty word. I know sometimes we bring these things up, people begin to make them bow over like cats with hair sticking up on them. And, and you know, they get afraid and think, man, we're going to walk down some aisles. And, man, I wish you'd just stay out of it. Man, none of this is dirty. None of this is just something that's taboo that we shouldn't talk about. Why is this thing called separation so important? Because in 1 Peter 1 and verse 15, starting, the Bible says, but as he which hath called you, is holy. He's separate. He's unique. He's special. He's sacred. He's sanctified. He's set apart. It's holy. Be so ye holy. In all manner of conversation. Now that's not talking about your talk. When the Bible uses the word conversation, many times it's not talking about your communication and talk. In New Testament Scripture, when they talked about conversation, they were talking about your way of life. See, that changes everything. Because if I unpolish up my conversation, everything's fine. No, no. It goes further than just your conversation. You look up the Greek for conversation in New Testament Scripture. It's talking about your way and means and measures of life. Where you go, what you do, how you act, what your disposition is. He said, be ye holy. For so, he said, be you, here he is, uh, uh, here it is, verse 15, I got to get it out of my mouth. But as he which have called you is holy, so be ye holy in all, I can't give you Greek and Hebrew for that because that's what it is, all manner of your disposition, of your way of life, of where you go, what you do, how you act, how you react, how you display yourself. All manner of conversation because... Please don't be the child that consistently after they're given a reason say why. And I throw down the trump card before it's all said and done because I'm your father, that's why. And so whenever he says, well, why we got to do all this? God, he show us this and show us that because it's written. Be holy for I am holy. And it's because I'm your daddy, that's why. You want to call yourself my child? Then let me call you my, my, your father because I'm your daddy. That's why. Because, honey, we run this in the ground. Because oh, I've done it before. You give, her, you give explanation. Why? Give explanation. Why? Give explanation. Why? They're not wanting to answer. They're wanting something that suits them. Daddy, why can't I have candy before I go to bed? And you go through the spill of how that stay on your teeth and there could be plaque and before you know you can start losing teeth and the whys come interjected in between there and whenever your baby teeth fall out, you only have one pair of permanent teeth so you better take good care. You go through all that and they're still saying, why? 
Listen, Sister Craig. They wanted to do what they wanted to do with your blessing on it. Hear me today. So I finally just got to do the trump card and stand up. Say, listen, we're not discussing this anymore. You got to do it because I'm your daddy. And that's what daddy says. And somebody needs to get in tune with who your daddy is this morning and somehow identify with your father again. is different brother McGee how separated is separate how holy is holy the unvoiced questions here's how different it is to me and so much in 2nd Chronicles 6 14 if I'm to be holy as he is holy as that God is holy if I'm to be holy as he is holy these were the words of Second Chronicles, did I say that right? Second Chronicles chapter number 6, sister, and verse number 14, if I gave it to you. Did I give it to you? She has a lot of scriptures that are in no particular order. Second Chronicles 6, 14, you got it? Thank you. Look at the scripture. That, I believe this was Solomon stating these words. And he said, O Lord God of Israel... Oh God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven nor in the earth. How different is different? How holy is holy? If I'm to be holy as he's holy? How separated is separated? There's not another like him. God even himself said he looked around and he knew no other God. As one old preacher, old time preacher used to say, if you know another God, then you know more than what God knows. There is no God like thee in heaven. And I'm to be holy as that God is holy. If there's none like him, there is no holiness like his. There is no difference like His. There is no separation likened unto His separation. Uh Uh-huh. For that reason then, those that are built upon the apostles' doctrine, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, they should stand out. Because there shouldn't even be a slim comparison of another to them. Hmm. Had raisin up flakes and somebody put gunpowder in it for me this morning. I don't know why. That's 
how different different is. That's how separated separated is. I need to go here. I'm going slow, but it's okay. You're all right. You're all right. <laughs> Sister, I know we're jumping. That's all right. I got notes all over the place. I got them electronically. I got them on paper. I probably got something in my pocket. I just haven't found it yet. Second Corinthians 11.2. Man, times really went by. I didn't know I was going to have this much fun. You got it for me? Second. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the same Corinthian church. But what I do, that will I do, I wonder if I gave you improper. <clears throat> I got 11.2, but I'm thinking it might be 11.12 now that I see that. Yeah, yeah, that's two, two. I had to write all these down. Usually I text it to her. It's a whole lot neater that way. I'll read it, 11.2. He says, this is the same Apostle Paul talking to the same Corinthian church. He says, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. Listen well. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I have espoused you to one husband. Now, the word espouse, when we talk about espouse, and even with Mary being espoused to Joseph, they weren't married yet. An espousal was a betrothal. A espousal was like modern day engagement. I say like very loosely. Okay. <laughs> Because whenever a woman was espoused to a husband, many times that espousal would last many times for up to a year of being engaged or espoused to that husband. But the, the terminology and the seriousness, listen, the seriousness of that espousal was, hear me now, because today it's, well, they're not married yet. That was not the terminology in Scripture. When they were espoused, let me be as blunt as this. If she would lay with another man, that wasn't just fornication in the eyes of God. That was adultery. As though she was already married. And for that matter, espousal and engagement time in biblical times. And if you don't believe what I just said, go to Deuteronomy 22 and you can read it. But... If you, if you were to look at espousal in biblical times, whenever a man was espoused to his wife, everything that she owned already became under his jurisdiction. In that interim time, even of just being espoused. They haven't kissed yet. They haven't consummated the marriage with any type of sexual relations. But everything... That was hers, was already his under his jurisdiction when you was espoused. He says, for I have espoused you. We're not married to him yet. But we're espoused to him. 
Marriage day is still in our future. That's the reason why Scripture says he's been looking for a church that made herself ready. Because through the, all the Jewish, you know, wedding ceremonies and everything they did, the moments of purification and all, we could go in all that, but I don't have time for all that, neither do you. And we could go through all this, you know, the making themselves ready for the day of the marriage. We're not married to him yet. We're a spouse to him. But even though we're a spouse to him, you know what that means? Everything I got is already under his jurisdiction. What I say, what I do, where I go, if I'm... If we don't watch it, we can break our espousalship by how we act during this interim time of espousal. We'll consummate our marriage when he comes again. And about four days or a week prior to that, that woman goes down to the ritual bath for purification. And she's immersed in water with the name of her groom being spoken over her. New Testament baptism in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. 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 Not married yet, but I'm espoused to him. One husband. If she went on, you know, today is, well, she knew what she, or he, whatever. But we're looking at this similarity of God being the groom, us being the bride of Christ. I knew whatever they want. You're not married yet. Not in biblical times, not in the symbolism that we're talking about for us being the church and him being the groom. It's not you do whatever you want yet because you're not married to him yet. Mm-hmm. Somebody hear me today. It's not do whatever you want to in that deathbed, give a nice good repentance, and you'll be espoused back to him. And when the bridegroom comes, honey, we're going to all go see Jesus. It's not everybody at Corinth. You go to Apollo and you go over here to Aphrodite and you lay with their prostitutes there. You go over to Neptune, that's fine. You're a spouse to him. You're a spouse to one husband. One husband. One husband. And the one who is husband will be the one that has the jurisdiction over your life. So whatever has the upper hand in your life and that you give solely for the most part jurisdiction to, that's probably really what you're a spouse to. I think sometimes the church in some respects is being heavily veiled right now and going to get to the altar and boy, this wasn't the church, is it? Oh, God. Ooh, Lord. Okay. I got it. We, really, I, I haven't even got through a quarter of what I meant to get through. Not, not even, not even a quarter. Look at this. The means in which separated her, Yahweh espoused her. The means in which he separated us, he put his name on us. Just here real recently, the Smiths got married. The mode of separation now for Tasha is that she's not... I'm sorry, folks. Close your ears. She's not Tasha. She's Tasha Smith. She's a spouse to one husband. And a means of distinction or separation is that his name has been placed on her. (laughs) 
And so if his name is on me and I got a binding relationship with him and he's a jealous God that I'm espoused to one husband, then I'm better watch being unfaithful by going after another or vying for the attention. Brother DePriest, I'll tell you right now, and I'm not ashamed to tell you, that if in the point of time of me being engaged to my wife from July the 4th to November the 8th of the same year, she started vying for another man's attention. And she's going to accept cards and flowers. And we're just going out to eat. You're going to be walking down the aisle, but I'm not going to be standing at the altar. And we don't need no bigotry. God's not, he's not choosing to populate some earth with a dozen or so brides. Come what they will. He's jealous over one that's espoused to one husband. And he's the one that has jurisdiction for, over me. He's my leader. He's my master. He's my Lord. In my estimation, if a thing has two heads, it's either went through mutation or it's a fantasy. Well, Okay, stand with me because i got to be still. There's people waiting to eat. We're not done with the church at Corinth. We're not done with the apostle. Mm. <laughs> Whenever, years ago, uh, when we evangelized and we had this grand opportunity, we went to uh, Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. There was a guy that in the church worked there, got tickets for free. Oh, the blessings of evangelizing. Which was great because that was, I don't have time to tell the whole story, but that's whenever we had uh, estimated quarterly taxes was due. We didn't even know if the money was going to come. We sent them overnight back home just in time for them to pay taxes. So we went there broke. My, my wife wanted to eat there. I said, we're not doing it. I'm serious, am I not, Sister McGee? Even this, can, can we just even put it on something? We're not doing it. Now, some of you won't want to be a spouse to me, would you? <laughs> I'm probably a little softer than what I was then. <laughs> we got worrying much worse. I'd have siphon gallons of gas out of my take and sell it on the side of the road, you know what I'm saying? So we went. And at that time, then they probably changed things since now. They always change things. But at that time, there was basically four different parks. There was like, uh, and I, I tried to rack my brain last night remembering all these, Sister McGee. But there was like Animal Kingdom, Magic Kingdom, the Epcot Center, and I'm missing the other one. There it is. There it is. What was that last one? MGN Studios. There it is. These four different parks. Now, I didn't buy no tickets, okay, because it was given to me. And we were given what was called a hopper pass. Now, any one of these is enough to spend a day on, if not more. But we had one day. We had four parks. At that time, there was two of us and a hopper pass. 
And you could go from park to park by monorail, boat, train, walk. That was your vice of choice. But there's people who no doubt went there, bought that, and because of certain things, they got a ticket, and they went to Epcot. And they spent their day at Epcot. And they got, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, there's all kinds of different countries represented at Epcot. And they have a big parade at the end. And, man, it's wicked. It's, that's, that's where we finished our day. But with the Hopper Pass, I could go to Magic Kingdom. If I got tired of Magic Kingdom, man, I'll catch the monorail. I'll go over to Animal Kingdom. Man, if that didn't float my boat, I'd get on a boat. <laughs> and I'd go on over to MGM. I had the Hopper Pass. I've seen those passes. I've seen those passes. I've seen those passes. I need the, oh, I need the every hour. I need the Jesus. Crimp, that doesn't suit me. Hello, world. Time is done. There's going to be one bride and there's going to be one groom. And the great golf that we spoke of in Luke 16, that's there in eternity, it needs to be here now. And it just so happens that there is this, this hand that is raised that allows passages from left to right, right to left, from the world to the church to the church to the world. But before the bridegroom come, if you need to decide where you're going to drive your stake, where you're going to pitch your tent, you need to stop renting a lot and you need to invest in the land. Let's close our eyes this morning. We're coming to a close. And I'm Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.